0: Hello, listeners. I'm MM. And I'm Katie.
1: And we are Bi Coastal Besties and we're bonding over our mutual shared love of wine and mysteries. What are you drinking tonight, Katie?
0: I honestly couldn't tell you because (laughs) um, it was a random pick on Wink and it's like a Velt, it's a type of wine. That I feel starts like with a G. it starts with a V, like a Velt line. Oh. I sound very informed on a podcast that is ostensibly about wine, um, but it's tasty, and uh, I just feel like back in the day there were less types of wine, <laughs> and if you knew like the basic six, you were fine, sure. and now sure. there are so many, and I am so lazy. Well, I'll say it looks white
1: mm-hmm. and cold and delicious. It is. God, I love Wink. Thank you for introducing <laughs> me to Wink. My wine is actually a Wink wine, hashtag not a sponsor, but it came with my latest Wink box and it was, um, it's a Pinot Grigio, which I don't usually do Pinot Grigio, mm-hmm. but this is damn delicious is it that and refreshing. Bottle? Let me tell you. Gorge. Yes. Gorge. Yes, yes, I, yes. I can Christmas. just leave it out and feel like I have great taste in decor. <laughs> just That's what my house looks like. It's just decorated with random bottles of wine while Netflix plays in the background. You know. No. <laughs> you know Wink. how we do. But Wink, let me tell you, if you're looking for more people to sponsor.
0: If you would like a brand new up-and-coming podcast we to, uh, love represent your, your brand. Work.
1: We love your work. We'll do you proud.
0: If you're looking for that... Uh, elderly millennial segment of the population.
1: There's a very narrow demographic of uh, aging millennials who some of us may have already turned 40. And Allegedly. we may have, you know, a few crow's feet and just know about the finer things in life at this point. You know? Like escrow. And wine, <laughs> escrow
0: is a finer thing. Okay, okay. it's really not. I mean, it's we not are we awful. are for sure as as way of introduction to our dear listeners. We are for sure the Oregon Trail generation. Um, <laughs> you know, my yes. uh, the white streaks in my hair are not uh, by choice; <laughs> they just grow that way. I tell you, it's the rogue slash Cruella DeVille look that I'm rocking over here. Woohoo. I, get, I mean, do we need to introduce ourselves anymore, or are we just... You know naturally going to reveal fun trivia about our lives i think lives. it'll come out
1: i think i think it'll come out we don't want to we don't want to give all the goods away this early <laughs> right We got to give the people some, some more mystery to hold on uh, to
0: and ah. we do love our mysteries uh oh, mary margaret God, and yes. i have for sure done true crime book club uh, yes you know we enjoy a good mystery and when unsolved mysteries came back around on netflix boy howdy boy howdy were we excited this brought back memories of my
1: childhood in the 80s when once again my parents would not let me watch unsolved mysteries but when i could catch it when they weren't around on tv that was like uh, the greatest day it's like you could hear that music in the other room and it would just send chills up my spine and also start all of my spidey senses tingling and like book it book it to the room to go see what the new unsolved mystery was and can we also just take a moment, Robert Stack? Pour one out. I mean, in theory, because I don't want to pour out any of my yes. hashtag wink wine. But you know, um, and I think, I think Robert Stack would have wanted us to finish our drinks, which is actually that does play into something later that we're going to talk about with the first episode of Unsolved Mystery: The Reboot on Netflix. Um, I've, I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll save it. I'm not gonna get into it, but I think he would want us to finish our drinks. And God, I always wished, always wished that he was my grandpa. <laughs> I, I, had, I had two grandpas and they were great and I loved, I loved them. But he just had that energy of like, how cool would it have been to have had Robert Stack as your granddad? He would just like show up for the school rehearsal, the, like the recital, whatever. And he would be in that trench coat just standing in the back. There'd be that swirl of smoke
0: around the wispy fog moving with him. What kind of a uh, like you know career day? Be like, oh, mom, mom and dad, I don't need you to come to career day. I need a grandpa Robert. Um, I need to win career day. Thank you. Can you imagine? What? Sorry, I was just gonna say
1: your glow, your skin is glowing. By the way,
0: oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. It must be that
1: Pacific Northwest. Uh, <laughs> it's air like, that's all cleared out from the forest fires
0: now. Yeah, I mean. I mean, the air quality now that I'm an air quality watcher and I ask, uh, uh, you know, that's also mm part of middle age, by the way. Yeah, I I ask, uh, I ask my Amazon spy device every morning. Um, And then the other COVID dream I had was that um,
1: I think our listeners will appreciate this, that Drew Carey started a true crime show called True Carey. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So good. I woke up laughing about it. <laughs> <laughs> when when this happens,
0: he owes you a yes. producer credit.
1: But that did happen after listening to the latest episode of "And That's Why We Drink." When M was talking about how they used to work at um, Price Is Right with Drew Carey and about all of their interactions I'm unpro- with I'm Drew Carey. Sorry, I don't
0: know if you heard my. Phone call. <laughs> Go, Katie. I'm the worst. Look, guys. Priorities. This is this is, a, this is a, a a quarantine pipe dream we've had. We're learning That's as we right. go here. That's right. Well, I love it because
1: listeners, when Katie first left the East Coast, specifically me, and moved out to Seattle with you know her car packed full of her stuff and her dreams, and my cat making it happen. Um, so we, we were like, well, you know, we were coming up with ways that we were going to stay in touch because obviously when you're good friends with someone, it shouldn't really matter where you're located, right? You're going to find a way. So we started by building off of our in-person tradition of getting wine together. And we used to call those get togethers, wine times, TM, TM, TM. Then we started reading our true crime books together and having true crime book club. And then it was true crime podcasts. And then we thought, Wouldn't this be a fun project? And here we are. Here we are. Here we look, dreams come true. Look at us. (laughs) Look
0: at us now. This also means um, any comments about uh, editing or audio quality will hurt my feelings. So just. It will. It will. And you know what? We don't know what we're doing. Like give me give me give me uh five episodes or so to oh, figure hey, yeah. it out and then uh and then you can give me pointers but until then yeah. I am uh, like a tiny baby who can't walk well. <laughs> but you don't go look at that baby. He sucks at walking. You go Stupid look baby. at that baby. He's walking. Keep this it mentality. It Keep this mentality as we do these <laughs> fr- initial episodes, eh? Like We should probably
1: get into... We should, we should. Episode one of the reboot of Unsolved Mysteries, Mystery on the Rooftop.
0: So, uh, as some friendship backstory, uh, Mary Margaret Mm. did watch this before, and he's like, have you seen the Unsolved Mysteries reboot? And I said... It's amazing. No. And then she said, we should cover on the podcast, take notes. (laughs) Yes. So, um, and I did watch it again last night, and took notes as I did it and like a like a true Exennial um wrote <laughs> my notes and my hand hurt because I had not used handwriting in that long. Um but I'm into it. I have a cute little, you know, monogrammed pad of paper here and I'm uh, very excited about this.
1: So is Exennial what you call people who are on the bubble between Generation X and Millennials?
0: Yes. I've seen it. I don't know if it's like universally accepted <laughs> because that's
1: me. Because when I look, sometimes sometimes my birth year is lumped in with millennials at like the upper end, and sometimes it's lumped in at the lower end of Gen it's, X.
0: I think people it's are just 81. like we don't.
1: People are like we don't want
0: you. <laughs> I think it's Basically. eighty. I think millennials started eighty one. I like okay. Oregon Trail generation because nothing viscerally brings me back to learning how to use a computer than like the or like the yellow. Yes. original Oregon true
1: trail I like that. let's stick with that. Let's stick with that um, so mystery on the rooftop mystery um, on the rooftop, so it opens up with these gorgeous home videos of this beautiful fairy tale wedding in Puerto Rico, and we see Allison, and she is glowing.
0: she is gorgeous. that dress the was groom. amazing, even though uh you'd have to wake it up all night. I was like. But somehow she looked like she didn't
1: have to. I don't know how she was able to keep it. She looked like she could have been on the cover of Bride magazine. And her groom, Ray, I mean, also just beaming ear to ear. They looked so incredibly happy. And, of course, this was really touching me because this, they they got married around the same time that I did. So different beach, different wedding, obviously. But I was like, it was like reliving, like, Just how, like, happy I was and she obviously was. And then there's, like, this dramatic cut to Allison now. And she looks... Record scratch. I mean, she looks like a different person, but for obviously... For a good reason. Like, this has clearly taken a toll on her. And you can tell, like, this has just been so devastating for her. Although, side note, I will point out that in this episode, she is wearing... The Tiffany T necklace that looks like a smiley face that I wear every single day. So I was like, Allison, girl, I'm there with you. So many levels connected. So I was. I really was. So many levels. But it just made me so sad to see those. Just how like thriving and vibrant and alive she was, and then to see her talking about that this like awful time in her life, and you can see like like the the hole that it's left
0: right. in her. It was just really really sad. I mean, and. Honestly, it was a theme throughout the entire episode of just the videos, the photos of just, mm-hmm. um, like, who Ray was as a person. And then the That's two of right. them together. Um, I mean,
1: so. Then they also, so then we see, of course, we hear that music, that same music mm-hmm. that I talked about before. And we see the new intro, which is similar. It was very tastefully done. Very well similar done. Well to done. the oh, homage sh- intro. Yes, but new, updated, same kind of music. And of course at the end when we're all expecting Robert Stack to appear, we don't see we, we don't see him, obviously, but you can kind of see his vague profile. And it is just very tastefully and artfully done. So kudos. Kudos to the unsalted people. Love a good people. credit
0: sequence. I oh, could so good. start a whole new podcast about <sighs> how much I love various credit yes. sequences.
1: But anyway. And then it cuts to movies, home movies of Ray and pictures of Ray when he was younger, and they were describing him. They're saying He's this really tall, really strong, athletic guy. He's 6'5. He has so these broad handsome. shoulders. So handsome. Like He's got a megawatt this, smile. Thank you. Exactly. He, he just looks gorgeous. He was, these younger pictures of him playing water polo. And his family's talking about um, how close they all were because his dad was in the military. And so they moved a lot. And so we talk a lot to Ray's brother, Angel, who he was very, very close to. And they see said, "You know, Ray was so smart, and he he was this really athletic guy who just dreamed of being a writer, which I also love because it's showing, like his soft side. and and, um yeah, it just he just seemed like the kind of person who would be friends with everybody. Also, side note, um I didn't know until I moved to the East Coast, definitely when I was in college that there were high schools that had pools." and had oh, yeah. things like water polo teams. I had no I had no idea. None. Fancy school for fancies. Fancy school. <laughs> we're going to get to that. That was actually <laughs> the first thing I thought because this is also when they introduce Ray's high school best friend, uh-huh. Porter Sansbury, which the first time they said it, Katie, both times I watched this, I thought they said quarter <laughs> sansbury. and I paused it. Because and I he's said, the
0: four. Quarter. That's something that rich people would totally do.
1: And I'm going to refer to him as such throughout this podcast episode because he turns out he was in the finance industry, so Porter fits him better than Porter anyways, but also it is the name of a fancy person who went to a fancy school for fancies.
0: I mean, for sure. Like, So in my notes, it literally says, uh, when they introduce Porter, um, Porter Stansberry, ooh. Fancy name for fancies, and then <laughs> uh, in all caps, white people. Well,
1: we learn that he's supposedly a big finance guy. He's writing in it now because we jump a little bit around in the story, even though I think it's very well told. But we're still jumping around a little bit, and they say, "Oh, you know, he he's in finance. He was writing these financial newsletters, and um, he wanted Ray to come." And write for his company, Sansbury and Associates, and they had been living Allison and Ray in Southern California, and he was trying the writing thing. he it sounded like it wasn't really working out for them, so they made a deal, which I thought was an excellent compromise for the couple, right that they were going to move to Baltimore <laughs> for twenty four months start they moved in December of two thousand and four they were going to move to Baltimore for twenty four months and see if that worked out because that was where quarters company was located in the mount vernon neighborhood of baltimore um and the first thing i thought was she must have really loved him (laughs) (laughs) to move from southern california to baltimore for two years
0: let me tell you full disclosure listeners uh, i'm a born and bred marylander i let's hear you say it katie merlander And uh And what's that big city that starts with a B? What what do you call that place? Uh Balmer. So <laughs> uh I love Baltimore. I love the Orioles. Um although I have converted to a Nats fan. Don't come for me, Baltimore. Um, but uh <laughs> I just remember you texting me when we were, you know, just kind of we like, Oh, are you rewatching and whatever like I have some thoughts on Baltimore and I was like go off go off sis. Uh-huh. So uh yeah so I I will defend Maryland and most parts of it to my dying breath. I have <laughs> well a let's go. Let's go cuz I got some questions. Maryland flag. Uh, yes, that, that hideous thing. Well, yes, uh, we all the, know the best state flag. Excuse me, oh, um, so. that I will tattoo on my body once we can get tattoos again. And um, are you really? It's the best state flag. Are you
1: really going to get? You have such tasteful tattoos. Why would you mar <laughs> your beautiful body with, with the that best atrocity?
0: State flag. Um, so, yeah, so I will, and I will, uh, slander, I will slander Virginia to my dying breath. Look, you see, Virginia's got plenty to slander.
1: That's (laughs) fine with me. That's fine. All right. But let's, let's, let's call it what it is. Love that she moved to Baltimore with him for an agreed on 24 months. And then they do a shot of the house they moved in. And she was saying, we found this beautiful home. Gorgeous. We found this great church. We found this great community. We were so happy
0: one thing that snagged me with this whole quarter stansbury bit i get that if you have a company and you want to work with your friends and they're going through some tough financial times like the the writer dream in la or southern california mm-hmm, wherever mm-hmm, they were mm-hmm. um is not working out and you're like hey come work for me i got you and i get that this is early 2000s so working remotely from california well not a huge,
1: I mean, it's at this not, point, we're in 2006. So does that still really count as the early 2000s? I don't know.
0: I'd. I, I mean, I. I can't even imagine because that's like right after I graduated from college. Uh, okay, shut up. So, <laughs> so I can't. Um, I can't imagine working remotely then. I mean, like it wasn't. Had, it was. I feel like it wasn't. The especially the way it is now with COVID. 2006. And all I remotely. feel like I had a laptop.
1: Yep. I was I d- moved beyond the desktop computer by 2006. <laughs> um, so I I yeah I was kind of like it's interesting. I did think that that's interesting that he wanted him to move to Baltimore to write for him.
0: Right. Specifically, well, but it wasn't even so much that he offered; it's that he insisted. And like, because I remember Allison remem- like repeated it several times that like you know come work for me, come work for me, come work, come work for me. Yes. And. I thought that even before we get later where I think he's just the biggest douche that ever douched. Spoiler alert. Um Tell I remember us thinking, how you feel. I, I remember thinking that's fucking weird. Like that's w- strange that he's being so insistent. Like if Ray says no, I don't I want to follow my dreams, or if Ray says sure, let me write for you remotely and cuz I can just submit you if I'm writing newsletters. Yeah email existed. Yes, yes it did. I just thought ins- I, yeah, I don't I thought the insistence was strange.
1: Yes, and then um so we we know that Allison says, "Okay, so we're going to start this 24-month experiment. We move December 2004." Ray, the day Ray goes missing is May 16th. Two thousand six, so we've got a little while in between, right? So we know too that so Ray starts writing, helping Quarter write these reports. These that his financial firm is putting out that are supposed to be, you can subscribe for a fee. You get these reports. We're going to tell you. What Stock to do with your money tips. because because we're white dudes and like that's what we do, I guess. Yes. I mean, right? and that's why you think that we know what we're doing. I, I don't know. One of the reasons Allison says that they wanted Ray to come and work for them and write, help write these newsletters was because Quarter's company had gotten in trouble with the SEC and basically uh, got fined, it turned out, I think $1.5 million for fraud and like companies companies have insurance, right? And like you get insurance to cover these like I get it. But at the same time, when the when the company has your name on it and you get slapped with one of these things from the SEC, like you take a ding, you take a reputational hit, he's trying to recover. And so I, that played some part of him wanting Right. Ready to come and write for him. But then we find out later, and it was very subtle in the episode, and I had to do some work on the Google machine to figure this out. But, so he started out writing these newsletters. And apparently, six months before he disappeared, so let's say in December of 2005, he stops writing the newsletters and working for, as an employee for Stansberry and Associates, and he starts doing freelance videography for another one of the subsidiaries that was within the group that owns Stansberry and Associates. So like if they're having meetings, he would come and he would be recording the meetings and kind of doing the promo stuff for them. And he made that shift, which to me doesn't seem like a big deal. However, in later interviews, it's something that quarter really points to about like, well, he wasn't even an employee anymore. He, even though he had all these Quote unquote financial pressures, which we don't hear about at all right. here. Um, and alleging that that plays into things that happen later. So that's just something to keep in mind that at this point, he, when the day that he goes missing on May 16, 2006, Corder says he's not an employee of Stansbury and Associates, but he is working as a freelance videographer for another subsidiary within the umbrella company. And that everyone he says, Everyone at Stansbury and Associates is at a corporate retreat in St. Michael's, Maryland, which, listeners, if you don't know, is another fancy place for fancies on the eastern shore of Maryland. It's, it's cute.
0: It's adorable. It's very, very cute. Get some, it's, go, go there, get you some ice cream.
1: So so Quarter says on that day, everybody's on a corporate retreat. But obviously. Ray wasn't there because he's not an employee anymore. He's a freelance videographer. But again, I don't know why he's not there videographing it. Right, if we're on a corporate retreat, that seems like something that would be his job.
0: Why wouldn't you? And also, spoiler alert, if the call that makes him disappear comes from Stansberry Associates, clearly not everyone was on this retreat.
1: Allison, they never say what she does,
0: but she obviously
1: has her own successful career going on. And on May 16th, 2006... She is taking a business trip. They don't say where, but it's somewhere that's approximately three, three and a half hours away in the car. But she's got a business trip and she's going to be staying overnight in a hotel. So she gets up really early that night. And it's so sweet where he makes her breakfast, which I thought was adorable to spend some time with her before she left. And then he carries her suitcase to the car and she hits the road and she's gone. Um, And she's driving and then she's working all day. She says she finishes around six or six thirty. She checks into her hotel, she calls Ray, and she gets his voicemail. She says it's very unusual. Um, She also happens to have a colleague of hers named Claudia, who's staying at their place as a house guest, which eventually talks to Claudia, who says that around 6.30, she heard Ray get a phone call. Ray answers, and he runs out of the house in a hurry. Um, And says, oh. Like There's an exclamation of surprise. Oh, that's right. He says, oh. And then runs out of the house in a hurry. Um, So Claudia is getting late. Claudia goes around the house, looks in all the rooms. There's no Ray there. Um, And then Claudia calls Allison back at 5.30 in the morning. And again, she's like, look, Allison, Ray's still not here. And so Allison knows that this is not right. And she heads home as fast as she can. She's calling everybody she knows. She's calling Ray's mom. Um, She calls Ray's brother, Angel. And she know something's wrong because he's just not someone who's going to disappear like that,
0: right? And immediately the family's like, "We're on our way." That's right. Like flying um, up from Puerto Rico. That's right.
1: Well, and Angel's brothers flying up from Orlando, and um, she gets home. Ray's cars not at the house. She goes in the house, and what does she see? She sees Ray's Invisalign and an open soda on the counter, and that is when she knows shit is real because let me tell you and that's when i knew shit was real because <laughs> as someone who wears invisalign you don't just leave without the invisalign you're always wearing your invisalign unless you're eating or drinking like i am right now Because that shit will shift back it will it will it's important to wear it and also that soda I don't know if you noticed, that was an Izzy soda. That was an Izzy. Don't just leave that behind. That is expensive. That is an expensive little soda. Again, you finish that soda unless you get something really important on the phone that you got to run out the house for, which is apparently what happened. So now that he left his Invisalign behind and an open Izzy soda, we know that shit is real. Like, what a skit. What a, like... Scary, scary situation. And, you know, the thing that always pops up in my mind is when they're like, oh, he's not one to just take off and disappear. I'm like, who are the people who are just prone to take <laughs> off and disappear? I think about that all the time. Like, yeah, my husband just disappears for a couple of days at a time. No big deal. Ray's family flies up and down and from everywhere and friends come from everywhere and they basically turn their living room into... The war room, like calling the hospitals for John Doe's. They're calling the morgues. They're calling people with the license plate number because remember his car is not there. And you would think in a city like Baltimore... I know they care about towing there and keeping these cars that are illegally parked up and off the street. You think that somebody would have seen his car, but they have no idea where he is.
0: And oh, for sure. I was illegally parked for 15 minutes once because the valet like I was going to a, a hotel and there was no way to pull off the street. So you just left your I was like, "Can I leave my car there?" and they said, "Yes." And within the 10 minutes that I was waiting for the valet, uh I got a ticket. <laughs> this is and- in Baltimore. Oh, yeah. And then when I told them, hey, you got a ticket, they just have a fund to pay. Wow. Because okay. it happens all the time because uh, Baltimore police are so spot on. Like the traffic control people yeah. are so spot on. With I'm going to ticket you immediately. So that just added to my disbelief that like it took them as long as it did to find right. the car. And then Allison's parents come in and
1: um, and then we hear that Ray's high school bestie um, uh, is so concerned about him. That he offers a $1,000 reward for information. And I had to pause the show and rewind. Because I was like, surely I didn't just hear that he put up a $1,000 reward. I mean, the company is named after him. And he's this Mr. Big Finance guy. And he's offering $1,000 for the friend that he begged to come work for him from the West Coast to move to Baltimore. He's there because of you, and now no one knows where he is. And you're offering a thousand dollars. I'm not saying a thousand dollars is not Seems a lot of money. to me. If somebody, I mean, I think, it, look, if anyone offers any reward money, it's generous. But with all of these facts combined together, a thousand dollars,
0: Mister Bunny Bags, Mister Financial Analyst, like no, that does not no. seem right to me. Quarter. No that seems like something perhaps that you offer to shed suspicion to show mm. that, Oh, I'm so concerned, but I don't actually want to spend money on this. This person. is where I have
1: to intersect a little bit from the unsolved mystery show to a great article that I read about in good housekeeping. Um, that was partially quoting the Baltimore sun about this $1,000 reward. And at that time, Stansberry Told the Baltimore Sun, quote-unquote, he's a happy guy. He and his wife have just booked a trip to go to New Mexico in a few weeks. This is not a man that wanted to leave. I've got to find my friend. I can't imagine my life without him. He is my best friend. But then, he apparently declined to speak to the police. He declined to take part in the Unsolved Mysteries episode. And And they lawyered the hell. Did, and then... An article from the Baltimore Sun says that Corder hadn't spoken to Allison since June of 2006. Ray went missing on May 16th, 2006. And this is your best friend who moved across the country to work for you. And you don't speak to his wife
0: since June? Seems to, to use the parlance of the youth. Seems sus to me. Sus. It's pretty sus.
1: So then in the series, we meet... A woman that I would love to have a drink with. Yes! Miss Jane Miller herself. Jane with an A-Y-N-E. Everything, she came on the screen and my my notes actually say, holy crap, she's going to crack this case wide open. She is the H-B-I-C at this news station. She is here to get to the bottom of the story and she is going to cut your BS with her jawline She is Jane Miller. Um, So the next thing we see is it's May 22nd, six days out from when Ray went missing. And Allison's parents are in town and they decide to just go out and look for the car because they haven't gotten any hits off the license plate. So they're driving around and somehow in downtown Baltimore in the Mount Vernon neighborhood, Allison's mom just miraculously sees a car in a parking lot and says, that's his car. And sure as shit, they focus in on it. And yes, that is actually his car. It was there in this lot for six days. And they didn't tow this car. And Just a ticket. Excuse me. It's incredible to me because if so, if you haven't seen the show, what you have to imagine is, you know, downtown, big city on the East Coast, they have a lot of these really tiny little parking lots that are. I mean, independently independently owned and operated, but also just like small little pieces of pavement where that it's either between a bunch of buildings in the middle of a block or a building used to be there and it was torn down and no one's put up another, another building there. And so they're using it as a parking lot and they will pack in as many cars as they can onto the surface lot. It's just, just at the surface. There's no like level two, three, four. It's not covered. It's just open.
0: And there's also a, like the only like monitoring there typically is like a little hut where the workers go and they they're not typically there overnight. So that's why when they talk to the guy who like worked there, they're like, it was there when I got there for work the next day. That's right. And so it's been there since he disappeared, which suggests to us, the viewer, that that is that, that register straight there dropped his car off, and that's where his car's been the whole time. He didn't do other stuff on his last day. Right. And so... That was his destination.
1: What is he close to in this tiny little parking lot? He is close to two things that they point out. He's in the Mount Vernon neighborhood, so he's close to the old Belvedere Hotel, and he's close to the building where Quarters Company Stansbury & Associates is.
0: Lagasse.
1: Right? (laughs) That's... Hell surprise. So, you know, and so, of course, the first thing they do is they start, they find the car. So they're really excited that they found the car and they start looking through it to see if they can find any clues. And, of course, you know, they're not finding anything. There's nothing in the car. There's nothing to indicate that it was stolen and dumped there. There's just nothing in the car. And side note, because they're showing the archival news footage of when they found the car there. Did you peep the prices? the parking lot
0: no were they like insane like because i always i kept keeping the the um the razors and like the nokia phones (laughs) and i was like they don't make them like no they don't um
1: okay so first of all granted this is 2006 so we're 14 years out and number two these are baltimore prices so they are much cheaper than like downtown dc parking prices or probably even philly prices definitely new york prices right okay zero to one hour which is where they always get you on the first hour because you know you're downtown five dollars then it goes incremental by hour until you get to a daily rate of eight dollars not 18 <laughs> not 28 eight
0: dollars that's baltimore prices for you right there that is wild my uncle does live in kona so i went and visited him um back when you know we could travel and I definitely paid for parking for just like my friend and I when we went out to dinner and that was it. So we were maybe there for like two, two and a half hours and then walked around Kona a little bit. At twenty-seven dollars.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but again, I expect that in Hawaii.
0: I mean that's true. Space is at a premium. Space is at a premium. <laughs> a small island.
1: Unlike Baltimore. So <laughs> Burn. Burn, Maryland. So okay. They look in the car. They're not finding any clues. So what's the next step? Obviously, you're going to start searching in the area around the car. And so they're looking. There's a parking structure that is apparently connected somehow to the Belvedere that is not connected to this particular lot that has multi stories on it. So some friends go up on this multi story parking lot to the top level and they look down and they discover a hole in a lower roof. That is next to the parking structure, not where Ray parked his car, but in a parking structure that is near the Belvedere. And
0: which how they even saw that hole is a miracle. Like, I have no idea. I mean, and and they say in the episode, like it just looked like a black dot. Like I would have, you know, maybe if you're there, it looks more like a hole, but I would have been like, that's like an oil stain or something weird. That's I'm right. Gonna... And there were some flip-flops yeah. near the hole, right? But the hole is very Narrow
1: is all I can say. This is not a big hole. Like, when you see this hole... Like a
0: manhole size.
1: Like... They call the police. Police ask the manager of the Belvedere to open the building because apparently it's almost like an annex to the Belvedere. They use it for some conferences. They have a couple of different names for it. They call it the old church building or the old racquetball club. Um, But it's not in constant use. And so they have to call someone from the Belvedere to come and open it up for them. And... The manager at the Belvedere at the time, they interview him a few times in the show. And he's great. He seems like such a lovely man. And I feel so awful for him because he clearly has PTSD that opening the door for these cops and seeing, sorry, spoiler, Ray's body is laying there. Um, in the hallway he's obviously traumatized and he says every time he opens the door now he imagines that he is going to be finding a body on the other side of the door and so would
0: I right like again not to divert but when I hit a deer so on the morning of my PSAT I was driving (laughs) to school I hit I hit a deer going quite slowly because it was like a herd of deer running across the road so I slam on the brakes and I hit like the last deer. So I wasn't even going that fast. I did not kill the deer. It just hit the one side of my my hood and like rolled over the hood like a like a detective in a show like <laughs> and then ran off and got I knocked the shit out of it literally because there was just deer shit all over my car. Um however, then I go into my PSAT and all I can hear in the silence of Aww. all of us taking this test is Stunk. So like the the hitting the deer and then the rolling over my hood. And so like for the uh, uh, pr- pretty much like, and like that was not traumatic for me. My car, like the hood was buckled a little, like one of the headlights needed to be fixed. We were fine and we were never in danger. But for weeks after that, every time there was silence, all I could hear was thunk. So Times that by a thousand bajillion that you see this traumatic thing. And now it's just like, well, that's definitely not what he expected when he opened right. that door. And so now any door, it's like, they are going to be a lot of viscera when uh, I open this door. Well, right. And again, I mean, so the thing that
1: stuck out for me, besides the obvious trauma and PTSD that this poor man is living with for the rest of his life is was he said the overwhelming smell right because you could smell the decomp coming when he opened the door but also the fact and they just showed an outline like a body outline in the um show right was that his legs were pointed towards the door um so that that stood out to me and then of course there's the scene where they're talking about how They had to call the family to the police department's headquarters to tell them that they have identified this body as being raised. And it's heartbreaking. And Allison is crying and and describing how her body just went into total shock. And Ray's mom is crying because she's obviously traumatized. But also she was crying when she's talking about how devastated Allison was. And Angel is there. She just keeps
0: saying Allison was crying rivers. She was crying rivers. And you're just like... You uh, feel it. You feel like you're getting punched in the chest. Yes, and like like you it's just- feel
1: it in your bones about just like how, how sad this was for everyone and just traumatizing. Um, so we go to talking about the state of Ray's body once they found him. Um, because at this point, he'd been missing for eight days. And May is not necessarily a cool time in the mid-Atlantic in, like, region
0: in, in Balmer in Balmer um, and if this is a like this if this is a little used room like you know it's probably not kept
1: cool like it's, Exactly. 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 You know, so they were just saying that the autopsy was so brutal to read because most it, it, talking, there was extensive decomposition and so so much of the evidence was that you could actually physically observe was gone. And so then you're looking at the injuries that they can discern on the body. And he had multiple rib fractures. There were these deep seven to nine inch lacerations on his body. There was damage to his skull. He had different breaks in his right leg. And one of his legs was so broken that the bone was poking through. And they were... I, I know they were... And at first they were saying... You know he must have fallen from such a really great height um, to have these injuries, but and to
0: break through the ceiling. Were saying,
1: they were saying that the hole though in the ceiling is a metal roof, and that the hole in that metal roof was so narrow and so clean. It wasn't like a massive roof collapse, right? And so how? Where could he have come
0: from? And how could he have gotten through there? Right. And 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 side note really liked the detective. Can I tell you,
1: um, I missed his name the first time around. I liked it, I too. I know it's Michael something. Fire, but for the longest time, I was just calling him Detective Flattop. <laughs> he also seems like a very lovely guy who really cares and he also cares about that flat top hairdo which he was rocking i give him props for I that mean, not everybody can do committed, that committed
0: bro it stay seemed committed. like an old
1: like like a like a military guy who's still hanging on to the haircut but he was he got it he got it going on Rock it
0: if you can Although, at one point and i know this is probably like the producers prompting him to explain things but at one point he says well you know the decomposition will destroy evidence. And I was like, no shit. (laughs) Like, you can give me a little bit more insight than a body (sighs) decomposing is gonna remove evidence. But also people aren't as obsessed with mysteries and true crime as we are, but I was just like, it's one of those things- Not everybody can handle this, Katie. But, like, you know those things where, like, like a sportscaster goes, well, you know what they really need to do is score right here. It's like, no shit, that is the point of the game. Moving the chains on so- this one, Bob. <laughs> so I was just sort of like, no shit, Detective Michael. Let's get into the details. Look, Detective Flattop and Jane Miller are going to get to the bottom of this.
1: <laughs> so so then they start going through the theories about what could have happened, right? And, like, how he could have gotten through that, through the roof. But everything they went through, they were like, well, this could have happened, but at the same time, it couldn't have. Because the distance... Right. They talked about three different theories of he either jumped or fell from the top roof of the Belvedere, which is 10 or 11 stories down. He could have fallen or jumped from the top of the parking garage, or he could have fallen or jumped from the 11th floor ledge of the Belvedere, but there were problems with each of them. They were all... Right. ...too far of a distance for an actual human man, even if you are a former water polo playing six foot five broad-shouldered dude with a with a smile that could light up a room, that in those flip-flops, you're not going to be able to run fast enough and jump far enough. Like, you're not Superman or Spider-Man. Like, this is not happening. In,
0: in fucking Sprinter shoes, yes. you're not going to get that no. much, like... You could take someone who's excellent at parkour. They're not going to get that much distance. It's so far.
1: And then the other thing is they found his cell phone was on the roof of the garage. The screen wasn't cracked. The cell phone still worked. Which, yes, those Nokia's were powerhouses, but I dropped my fair eleven stories. I dropped my fair share of Nokia's. Let's just say, <laughs> um, <laughs> and that also, his flip-flops were on the roof. And Allison later shows us some of the damage, and she's like, "Yeah, this one has like some scrape marks on it, and this one was the strap was broken, but otherwise, I mean, they're not. I can. I have done more damage walking around in my flip-flops than I saw on these flip-flops that were on the roof." Um, and his glasses, there were no scratches on his glasses and they were also found on the roof.
0: Like those would have been, if those were on his face, Mm -hmm. they would have been shattered. So it's like, that brings up the question. Yes. Was it like, okay, was he, and they don't really pose this question. They just sort of pose like, this is weird, but I'm, it's curious they didn't pose the actual question of, was he murdered separately and like had all that trauma done to his body? And then state – like, they do say, like, maybe the cell phone is – and the glasses are staged. But it's like, to, what does that mean? Does that mean someone took a sledgehammer to that roof to make it look like he jumped? Like, that was the staging? And then, like, they murdered him and then, like, beat the shit out of his corpse so that it looked like he fell from a height? Like, they don't really kind of go right. down that road. They just sort of mention that. It's I mean, weird. Detective Top
1: definitely thinks that those – Shoes, cell phone glasses that that was staged on top of the roof. Right. Uh, what I'm curious about is whether or not you could see the top of that garage lower roof from the Stansberry and Associates building that was in the neighborhood. Hmm. Because maybe you don't have to make a hole. Maybe, you know, people don't use that building very often. Maybe they saw that there was, was a, a hole. hole.
0: Who knows? I was like, Chance.
1: Because the other really freaky thing, because, of course, at first, Jane, our, our head bitch in charge, Jane Miller, is telling us the police were very, very quick to label this a suicide. And she's pointing out all these ways that it physically seems impossible for it to be a suicide. And um, Allison goes to talk to the medical examiner. She has this really weird conversation with the medical examiner who closes the door. And the medical examiner says they are trying to make this go away. However, these injuries are inconsistent with a suicide. You don't get, basically, you don't get two broken shins that are broken yeah, this broke, way. I
0: was going to say, in my notes, like, shins. Exactly. Like, and then, like, a thousand, like, question mark, exclamation, question Because mark, exactly. who breaks shins?
1: The mob?
0: You know? And and you know what is, like, known for being in Baltimore? What's that? Gangs and the mob? The wire? Oh. Um, I'm telling you, overall, Baltimore is not
1: getting a good look from this first no. episode, and it's much closer to the wire than it is to say the Baltimore of Sleepless in Seattle. Was
0: was that the other city? That was where Meg Ryan I, was from, yes. I only I only paid attention to the Seattle. Um, but so yeah, the the closed door conversation really got me because um, you know, uh the police trying to mm-hmm. cover this, cover something up because like, what if they have connections with, you know, what if they're all, you know, that's right. They're the sh- you know, that they're the shield and they're like Michael Chickless and they're that's right. You know, dirty or whatever. But like the fact that she says, we know what they're trying to do. That's right. And I, I, I have that like underlined in my notes. Like we know what they're trying to do. Like they're brushing it under the rug. It's a suicide. It's a suicide. It's a suicide. When, even when like science says, Ooh, ignoring science already in 2006, you know, like, that a man cannot jump that way. Right. Well then where did he come from? They're just sort of like whatever it's a su- it's a suicide like wash your hands of it and it's just like But how, though? That's right. Like, show me how, and I'll believe you, but there's no evidence. And, like, Jane Miller, our head bitch in charge, says this. So,
1: um, this is where the timeline gets a little fuzzy for me. In the show, this is where they cut to Allison talking about how she was combing her house for clues about where Ray could have gone to. And I wasn't sure if that happened before or after they'd actually located his body. But, you know, they show her going through the whole house looking for clues. Um, And finally, she's in his office... And she finds the note taped the behind the damn computer. And not only was it taped behind the computer, but the pictures of it made it look like he had wrapped it in saran wrap so that it wouldn't and get like, wet. And then and it taped even, like, it to the computer. Out
0: and like printed it out at like 60%. Yes. Like it was printed out so that it was like a tiny, tiny little Bible font. page. It was and so tiny. She, they
1: held it up next to a ruler and it was like, Most of the note, because it wasn't even a whole page, it was like part of a page that was about five inches, and then there was half of the page that was like another inch over into six inches, and then folded up into this teeny tiny little square wrapped in saran wrap and then taped to the back of
0: the computer. But honestly, what a shitty hiding place! Am right? Just like well, that's it's not it even it like makes you wonder. really hidden. Like, do like the underside of a desk? But okay, continue, But it makes continue. you wonder. Okay. Did he
1: want it to be found? Did he not want it to be found? Right when it's uh, when it's hiding in plain sight like that, right on the back of a giant monitor. Like, w- what are you doing? So she's she opens it up, and the language is girl cryptic is not even the right word. Like, it's rather poetic, but it does not flow or make a lot of sense. There's a lot of references to secrets. So the the first phrase was brothers and sisters, which right away should tell you something. Sorry, I'll get back to the quote. Brothers and sisters around the world, volcanoes are erupting. What an awesome sight.
0: And it's like, okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And just, I mean, we're going to get into the aspects of this note because the note is wild. And and Allison does mention that he like would just write stream of consciousness. Yes, and like they showed in all his, of his in- notebooks. He had, I don't know, a thousand composition books,
1: legal pads, just everywhere in the house. And whenever he had a thought about something, a potential something, a screenplay, a movie idea, whatever a telephone number, a series of numbers, he would just jot them down. And there was a lot of this stream of consciousness writing. But I will say this was a little bit more cohesive, I thought, than a stream of consciousness writing. Because then it goes on to say, I stand before you a man who understands the purpose and value of our secrets, whom virtue unites in death shall not separate... Which Allison plugged in to the Google machine later and was like, oh, this is... Very smart, Allison. Very smart. Um, this is a quote from the Freemasons.
0: Of course it is. Of course it is. And so he
1: has several books, apparently, in the house about the Freemasons in... Which I don't think they mention in the episode. I think that's part of your it, external yeah. research. And also in some of my extra Google machine search in the articles I read, he asked at least two separate friends, one of them being Quarter. And another separate high school friend, whether they were members of the Freemasons. And then it kind of moves from the Freemason quotes into the actors, actresses, movies I like, and people I know categories, right? <laughs> Just list of names. List of names, names. But like kind of mixed together. <laughs> right, and Allison was even saying, but it's not even everyone that was important to us. Like he left off some really big people out of the list of names of people we know. So she's like, I don't know what they had in common. And she, he's listing off names of famous actors and actresses and the movies. So I'm sorry, I have to get into some of these movies and granted this is 2006,
0: right? However, (sighs) good taste existed in 2006. Thank you. I have to start with, the list of M. Night
1: Shyamalan movies? I was going to start with National Treasure, but fine. We can
0: start oh, with M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, no, 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 no. We can start with National <laughs> Treasure. I didn't notice that one, and you know my feelings on Nicolas Cage. Oh, did you? I th- thought that was what you are going to zero in on the Nicolas Cage movies and Da Vinci Code. Well, <laughs> okay. Da Vinci Code is my ultimate oh. internet father, Tom Hanks. Yes. I have not seen it. However, Tom Hanks typically gets a good pass from me. Respect. Because there's no crime Respect. in baseball. However... Nicholas Cage, I don't believe in as an entity. Right. So, the fact that anyone would list National Treasure as a good film amongst a list of good films upsets me on a basic level, listeners. I just want to say, I have not I've seen I've seen up like I didn't used to be anti Nicholas Cage. I don't know what it is. I'm sure he's a fine human, perhaps. If he's problematic, awesome. Tell me. Um at Wine Times Pod on Twitter. Uh so but it, you know, whatever if he's just like a, you know, a human going about his business. That's fine. But I discovered roundabout City of Angels <laughs> that looking at it made me angry. City of Angels I was what, know.
1: 1999?
0: 1990- I'm not sure. Yeah. That movie is depressing and i know that's what they were going yep. for and it gave us the goo goo doll song that johnny resnick wrote in like 20 minutes yep. iris yep. which is a masterpiece yep. um it, there's two types of people in the world uh people who like the goo goo dolls and people who are liars Look, exactly um, i was then, gonna say
1: i don't trust people who say <laughs> they don't like them because everybody does stop Lying to yourself. Uh,
0: <laughs> we can start a whole nother podcast on why I hate that movie. <laughs> However, around that movie, I just I just sort of discovered that like looking at him made me angry. Like it it, it prompted anger responses in me. Sure. And after that, I decided why would I? I I don't believe in hate watching things. So I'm like, why would I ever watch someone like? No he could be the greatest actor in the world, but if he. Creates an anger anxiety response in me. I'm gonna just not believe in him as an entity on this planet. Okay, so
1: that was Katie's um, rant. Now I need to get to mine. I'm sorry, I cannot hold it okay, in any go longer. Go. He simply lists Star Wars one through three. I mean, what at that point isn't it? What a four through six? Well, that's my mm-hmm. that's my question. Does he actually mean he must four through six? New Hope, or, Empire no, Strikes oh, Back. Does he mean? Return of the Jedi. When did Phantom Menace Does come out? he? Oh, it was out. So is he Ooh. actually talking about episodes one through three, which would be Phantom Menace, sus. Return of the Clones, and Rise of the Sith? Because if that's the case, sus,
0: that is awful. That means he has no taste and should not have. Or that means
1: movies. Uh, I mean, then a code. A code. It would have to be code <laughs> for something. That's all I can believe in my heart. I mean, that really took me on a ride Last night, Katie And I don't think I'm over it yet I was like, Star Wars 1 through 3 Anyone who actually likes Star Wars Would say episode And then have the Roman numeral These were Arabic numbers 1 through 3 So, the last quote In his teeny tiny little note Was Well played game Congratulations to all who participated again, reminiscent of Kanye to me.
0: And just so wild. It's like, what are you referring yeah. to? But you know what's really interesting, Katie? Yes, my dear.
1: Ray's not the only one who had a belief in conspiracy theories. Do you know who else had a few conspiracy theories? Was it Quarter? It was his was BFF Quarter. Quarter is Isn't that interesting? Very? So, in my Google machining, Love it. So first of all, he has a LinkedIn page and a Wikipedia page, which made me a little bit mad, but his, his LinkedIn page, um, describes, you know, his work in the finance industry. And, you know, today he's well known for doing some of the most important and often controversial work in the financial advisory business.
0: Since he, I'm sorry, if you're doing anything that's controversial in the financial sector, you're committing crimes. Well, which
1: he literally did because he was fined by the SEC for
0: fraud. Um,
1: and the, I read a couple of different articles about the, this YouTube video that he posted. And some of them said he posted it in 2010, one said he posted it in 2011. When I went to YouTube to actually try my hardest to watch this video, it said (laughs) it was from 2013. So I'm not actually sure about the date of this video.
0: But regardless, it's post this whole situation where he clammed the hell up and spoke to nobody. That's right.
1: He has a YouTube video. It's still up. You can also go and try to listen to this whole thing, although I wouldn't. We'll put it in the show notes. I would not highly recommend it. It's called The End of America. And so if you think that's not conspiracy theory-ish enough, just listen. Buckle up, because it's going to get wild. It is so awful. So basically, when when I'm going to, to YouTube and I really expected to see this guy's face talking at me because that's generally what I see on YouTube. I see videos of people talking instead. This guy basically has just learned how to use PowerPoint and has uploaded the PowerPoint and is talking through it. Like you are in the world's worst meeting at work with someone that no one will tell to be quiet. And <laughs> his voice, I have to say sounds exactly like I expected it to. Oh, yeah. It is so boring. It has the slightest of accents. Like he is about to fall asleep, basically, reading his own material. And this is just a snippet, okay? A few of these snippets to give you a feel for what this video is about. This is my impression of our friend, Corder. When I gave this warning in 2006, no one took me seriously. And then it says warning, and that's in red, okay? This will offend everyone. Democrats, Republicans, Tea Partiers. I've received dozens of pieces of hate mail about this theory. Note quarter, just try being a woman in 2020 on God's internet (laughs) You've received dozens of pieces of hate mail.
0: Bakers, dozens. Okay.
1: Okay, back to being quarter. I've literally taken drastic steps to protect my family from what I inevitably know must happen next. I've turned down all requests I've received to run for public office. (laughs) I'm not doing this for me. I'm just trying to help you in the future. Food stamps will fail. Banks will close. There will be no social security checks. I mean, well, basically what he's getting at is the only thing that is going to help you get through the inevitable end of our country,
0: which we're currently in the middle of.
1: of, um, is a subscription to his financial report, which normally would be uh, $149 a year. But for you, because he's really concerned about you surviving the apocalypse, it's going to be $49 for a year. But you need to know it is very important for his business that we have repeat customers year after year. And that's the only way he can continue to drop these pearls of financial wisdom. And the thing that he's going to tell you in this report is that there are four things in either 2010, 2011, or 2013 that you should be investing in right now then um, that you don't have to report to the government because... Oh,
0: well, that seems legit. You,
1: I mean, you do have to pay, he, he admits, you do have to pay taxes on any capital gains you get from these investments, but the direct quote here is, the less the government knows about your money, the better because they can't take what they don't have. He's like, but I can't tell you about them here. You have to get my report. All I'm going to say is it's not stocks. It's not bonds. It's not gold. It's not silver. It's not guns or any minerals. But I can't tell you here. But this is the world's most valuable asset. But if you send me $49.95 a year, I will tell you in my financial reports what you need to do.
0: And I almost wish I had just disposable income so that I could find out what it is if it's not any of those and things. And what is
1: so nauseating is when you go to his Wikipedia page, it's like financial industry guru and author. And I'm like, published author, give me a break. But you look at it, and he is clearly a fear monger who is feeding on the worst aspects of, of society and these same kind of conspiracy theories, right? Because he is, here he is he's saying society as we know it is going to come to an end. Money's going to be... On one end he's saying money's going to be useless and you're not going to have any, but on the other end he's saying you need to invest in this thing so you have money. And make the most so money. It's, it's a little bit of a mixed bag there. But but that video, this heinous video that is an hour and almost 24 minutes long, is called The End of America. And so I looked up what what his books were called. Battle for America. And... America 2020, the survival blueprint.
0: Okay, that must have been published recently. I don't America think so. Somehow he knew oh, 2020. So he just, he just so he just said 2020 is yes. like an amorphous future right, date right, right, when right, things right. would be shitty and he had right. to be but correct. But also,
1: um, you know, in this video, when he's saying you, you don't buy gold, don't buy minerals, da da da, Buy unicorns. A year or two later, he was literally telling everyone to invest everything they had in gold.
0: So, oh, so he's a weird doomsdayer then. Basically. So all,
1: all I'm getting from all of this is that he is also into weird conspiracy theories. So does that play into Ray's note? Because Ray was writing for his financial report and then he was freelance videographing for him.
0: I mean, I feel like and I honestly end up thinking that the note is and en- is inevitably a red herring, that it's something that is unconnected to the murder that is some outlet of Ray's, like he wanted to have something secret and like he's obsessed with these Freemasons, etc. cetera. But I feel like, you know, when you watch, at least watching the show, I just felt like that was so, like, it was so interesting and so weird and really the village, honestly, and, um, but <laughs> and fucking national treasure. But... When you get down to it, like, the call and the surprise and everything is really strange. So it's, like, I don't know how they could dovetail together. Like, if it's, like, Quarter is, you know, creating this atmosphere of weird conspiracy. And then it's, you know, someone calls Ray and says the crow flies at midnight and he has to go. And then he's caught up in this scheme to be, like, the fall guy for something or maybe he discovered something and i mean and that's something the the documentary does pose i just hit my microphone i'm so sorry remember i'm a baby so um so like maybe it's he discovered something in his work for stansbury and like was you know trying to research his because he didn't have a background in this so that's like right he's writing these newsletters he's doing this videography maybe he somehow discovers something And you know, quarter or quarter's associates, or if you know some sort some sort of mafia Baltimore issues involved, Mm -hmm. decide there needs like you know he needs to be silenced. Let's make it look like he killed himself, and like they went with the most implausible suicide ever. Right,
1: right. (sighs) Yeah, and then at the very end of the episode, because again, it does jump around a little bit, we find out some additional details about. Some things that have happened leading up to Ray's disappearance. It also makes it seem much shadier and that it wasn't a suicide. So we find out May 15th at 1 a.m., the alarm at their gorgeous house in Baltimore goes off. And Allison describes Ray coming out with this giant bat and that she could see the fear in his eyes and I laughed immediately because when we lived in DC we had the same security system which was a <laughs> giant bat that we kept in the bedroom um
0: did you have an alarm that looked like an air horn no
1: <laughs> we we weren't that fancy um
0: <laughs> that thing looked like a like a camp counselor Yes it did Like, salute your shorts, ass. Like, someone announcing something, like, someone meet me in the council. I mean, it would scare me away. And then I was
1: impressed, though, that the Baltimore police came out for a house alarm at one in the morning, which again makes me think it's not Baltimore City, maybe it's Baltimore County. Um, but of course, after they do their deep investigation, they come to the conclusion that it was what Katie, do you remember this part? A squirrel. A goddamn squirrel. Do I believe that for two seconds? No. no. A squirrel? A
0: squirrel. And it went off again. Like it, Like it's Because, like, honestly, if a squirrel's setting it off, a squirrel is setting it off multiple times all the time. Like, it's not something that happens once. If you're in the suburbs, there's fucking squirrels. And there's birds. I've also never and heard of such a thing. I've
1: never... I mean, we have an alarm system here that I feel like if you breathe on things wrong, it will go off and... I've set it off inadvertently many times. It's never been the fault of a squirrel. I'll say that.
0: Oh, yeah. Like 2006, I remember I like, was pet setting for an aunt of mine. And like for sure, like, ha- like it was one of those things where you enter the house and you have to put in a code within like two minutes or else the alarm goes off, that kind of thing. That was 2006. So they're that's like they're sophisticated enough then. It's not like it's going to be. A bug sets it off, a squirrel sets it off, and if a squirrel does set it off, one, it's shitty, and two, that happens more than two times Mm -hmm. very close to a disappearance. Well, that's right, because then it happened again the very next morning at
1: one o'clock in the morning on Tuesday morning, it went off again. and And
0: that's the day he disappeared.
1: Right. And then Allison is walking us through her gorgeous outside of her gorgeous house and showing us the window. Where those alarms were going off, and it was the ground floor, and of course she's planted some big bushes there. I would too, um, but she was saying in 2006 those bushes weren't there, so you could walk right up to the window, right and that about. was what was tripping the alarm. And it it just felt so real, and she's outside, and you can hear the cicadas, and it just you could maybe it's just the whole mid-Atlantic thing, but like I could feel the humidity and the, and the mid-Atlanticness of it all. And she's showing where she planted these plants. And it just made me so sad because she's still in this house that she moved into with Ray when she thought they were only going to be there for 24 months. And they were so happy. And, you know, at the end of the movie, she, the movie, the end of the episode, <laughs> she says, I came here with everything and I left with nothing.
0: And it just felt okay.
1: so awful for her.
0: I mean, and so a few other things I have in my notes are. um the fact that Detective Flattop got reassigned, <gasps> so he yes. was like one of the only people yes, yes, yes. who was like on board with the fact That's that it right. wasn't a suicide and he gets reassigned, that is sus as shit. Um, and that there was a company called, um, pirate investments that was the fraudulent firm that he got fined for like and it's called fucking pirate investments investments why not just call it we're doing crime llc like the fuck,
1: <laughs> i i had mixed feelings about quarter i will say i the first time i watched it i had an immediate dislike of him um but the first time they flashed his picture i was like antennas yeah, were, were up sh- like mm, 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 i don't like quarter Rewatching it again, I was trying to hold withhold some judgment and I was like, you know, this could all, again, the whole thing, this could all be a Red Herring. But there were too many things that seemed too close to the company, physical proximity, and just close in fact. And then some of the other articles that I read where they interviewed him, the way that he was referring to Ray and his death and the aftermath... Really left a bad taste in my mouth. One of them being that Allison said, I haven't talked to him since June of 2006, so less than a month after they found out that her husband died and she's never heard from his best friend since then. Um, another one was the way that he was being so defensive about how Ray didn't work for them anymore, that it, when really he still kind of was, he was freely, like, truly. That's a true statement. If he was not an employee, because he's freelancing, he's consulting, but he's still involved and close with the business and with his friends. Right, friend. the term
0: is a client of yours. Like I'm a consultant, so like you wouldn't say I work for my clients, but they're still my clients, and I still have like quite a bit of interaction. That's
1: with right. Them. And the other thing in the Netflix show, they were saying, um, he lawyered up. He told all the employees at that company, gag order. right, that there was a gag order. They cannot talk to the investigators. When they interviewed Corder recently, he said, that is incorrect. What happened was all the employees of the company were told, if anyone contacts you and asks you questions, you need to refer them to the media department. A distinction without a difference here, Quarter. right? Like that is, in effect, you're doing the same thing because you're telling them that they should not be talking to people. And they can't speak freely, yeah. Right, so I was like like okay like that felt slimy too and i get why a company would do that but the way he addressed it and then he was like yeah of course i was i was um upset when he was, when he was gone and we didn't know what happened to him but then they found him and it was suicide and that's sad but you know like, it is what it but is. But he's the
0: best friend, why doesn't he exactly? You sh- question that's it? right. And why doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, especially, again, especially because our, our head bitch in charge, Gene, Jane, is just like, How dare this you? This is physically impossible. So it's like, if I'm, if, you know, a friend of mine, if this happens to a friend of mine, if Ray's my friend, and I see all of this evidence, which none of, like, the, this is all stuff that, like, people know, and that's why I feel like Allison is just like, this was murder, you know? not even the stuff that's being hidden but the publicly available stuff i go well this is impossible right so you need a better explanation for suicide or or what else you need to figure out like why there's this gag order why he hasn't like why like why would you decline to be a part of unsolved mysteries which is trying to like you know there's all the stories mm-hmm. of like, you know, they put that up there and like somehow something gets solved. So like, why aren't you putting out every feeler possible? Why is your reward only a thousand dollars?
1: The, the, the thing that I want to end on is number one, Jane Miller, if you're listening,
0: Let's slide go into our
1: DMs. <laughs> you're great. You're very telegenic. Oh man. I want to pick your brain, Jane Miller. Um, and number two, I just want to give a shout out to some of our inspirations, and that's why we drink, morbid, true crime obsessed, obsessed with disappeared. Katie, where can people find
0: us? People can find us at One Times Pod on both Instagram and Twitter. Those are where we're we're going because we're we're Oregon Trail generation, and so those <laughs> are our social media outlets. Um, you can also find us on anywhere you get your podcast. So please subscribe, leave a rating um that will help us out. Um and you, you know, Apple, Google, Amazon has something now. You know, wherever you feel <laughs> like to get it, all, maybe don't all help the out things. Bezos. Bezos has enough <laughs> shit going on for the 10 cents he'd make off us. Um, so yeah, I mean we're really excited about this. We want to hear from you. Uh, we also have a Gmail if you want to like reach out to us. It's winetimespod at gmail.com. And, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Let's do this and thing. Wink, if, uh, if you're looking for some, and, and Wink, we love if you. If you're looking for Deliver some ex millennials
1: to, uh, promote your products, we're down.
0: But, yeah, uh, it's always good to see you oh it's so good to see you Katie. you make my
1: day so much better even though you're so far away look at the angelic face no one else can see it but me but it is quite angelic thanks for listening and next time some good wine that's right thanks for listening and next time you you join us pop a bottle you know
0: so yeah so see you next time that's right bye everybody